Welcome back for another Hot Take Hot Talk, a short-form episode where we discuss the latest scandals, controversies, and breaking news in South Korean pop culture. In this episode, we cover SM Entertainment and the events leading up to the sale of founder and executive producer Lee Soo-man's company shares to Hive Corporation. We'll provide background about Lee Soo-man, SM's business strategies over the decades, and provide context on rising tensions in the company. Grab a plate and take a seat, because we're serving up some hot takes. Hi everyone, welcome back to Idol Talk, where we explore South Korean pop culture, one obsession at a time. My name is Nathan, and I'm your host. Hey everyone, I'm Ashley, and recently J-Hope announced that he started the process of enlisting for the military. He didn't say exactly when he was going to leave, but that he's starting the process and that he he's he has gifts for fans before he leaves. He's going to throw out some what, lollipops or something? What yeah, I don't know what that means. Maybe new music? Goodbye concert? I, I did hear, I saw that he was going to release a single before he left. So that'll be oh, nice. Oh, goodbye song. Yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah, so I just want to say that I predicted this in our 2023 predictions episode. My prediction is that all BTS members are gonna leave this year. Oh, I just wasn't okay. expecting. Well, that's one. Well, yeah, but I just wasn't expecting J-Hope to be the first one to go. I thought it was gonna be Suga, but. Okay, we'll yeah. cover that in the next episode. All right, Gabe. Hello, everyone. It's Gabe, resident K-pop extremist. I'm really taking ownership of this title. <laughs> um, and I recently started watching Boys Planet. Yay. I'm a, I know I'm about like a month late, or maybe like two months. No, late, you're not two but, months late. Um, yeah, true. <laughs> I'm just I am hooked already. I've spent like over this weekend. I spent like four straight hours just <laughs> watching Boys Planet. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I could give That's it a so chance, great. probably. All right, so maybe we'll do a review of that once all of us are caught up on it. Here, the boys got to get a companion to um, what Kepler, right? Isn't that the whole goal of this? Oh yeah, that's right. Uh... I mean, that's the whole point. I feel like Girls this... Planet, Boys Planet. I feel like the group that comes out of Boys Planet is gonna be better than Kepler. That's just my feeling. Okay, well, we'll see about that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Nice to talk to you all, Ashley and Gabe, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this episode. We're going to talk about something that, oh, I've been avoiding this news, and the hosts know that, and I would have never expected to have to discuss something like this. This definitely didn't come up in our predictions episode. I know. So we did fail on that, but I think... No one would have expected this, which is what keeps the K-pop world really interesting, I would say. Um, We are, as if you didn't already see the title of the episode, we're going to talk about kind of all of the news behind the SM and HYBE. I'm trying to find the right word for it because the news is still breaking. Yeah, it's not an acquisition because it hasn't happened yet. Right. And they're attempting an acquisition. Yes, a merger of some sort that's in not a merger. No, an it's not a integration. Merger. Of of which discussion? 
a discussion of integration, whether or not it's whether whether or not it's wanted or not unwanted. Yeah. Okay. Well, listeners probably know a little bit about this already, so we'll just jump into it. Um, we'll go ahead and in this episode kind of give an overview, kind of taking a step back before all of this announcement happened. And I will just go ahead and start off by providing some historical context behind who Lee Suman was, who Lee Suman, well, is, and then his vision for the SM Entertainment Company and kind of how it's evolved over the last two decades or so, two plus decades or so. So... For the listeners that didn't know, Lee Suman had very humble beginnings where he actually started off as an artist himself. So What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, JYP. Yeah, come so on. he was JYP, but I mean the short end of it is that he decided to call it quits like pretty early. Even though, yeah. like, upon giving it a, another look, he actually started and stopped and started and stopped his his music performance career like several times so in in and around the 1970s this was like the late 1970s he debuted for the first time in a folk duo band called april and may and after three months he said no more like oh i don't think i'm i don't think i'm gonna do this anymore um an article that i read said that he had some health problems Right, so he said three months, no more. But then he tried to become a solo artist. And does anyone want to guess the name of his self-titled album? Spring. Spring, interesting. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> his self-titled album name was called Lee Suman. Uh, self-entitled. <laughs> so... There were, yeah, so there was actually some other activities that he was doing related to entertainment itself. Um, and again, this was in like the pre-1985 kind of time. So he had some kind of group activities and he had a self-titled album. Um, he also like formed a band called Lee Suman and the one hundred the the three hundred and sixty five days in nineteen eighty, and that was his last attempt at the entertainment <laughs> performance industry. So this was a long time ago. Um, after that, he was like, "Oh, I don't think entertainment's right for me," and he leaves straight up to our good friend Ashley's alma mater he goes to the states to pursue computer engineering cal state northridge at ashley's beloved alma mater csun what he was pursuing a (laughs) master's degree there oh my god he's like my sunday name uh sure (laughs) like he could have been like no well he was a graduate student there so he wasn't a undergraduate hilarious you know if ashley was transported like 30 years before you know he might she might have um you know walked in the dining hall you know with lisa mon or something you know and you know she wouldn't (laughs) even noticed so he goes to csun for a little bit and then 
you know, he's like, there's so much happening in the music world. Um, this was the time of like MTV and lots of, lots of like pop stars that were coming out. And he decides that he's going to give entertainment another shot, but he's not going to perform he is going to, you know, try to do behind the scenes work in the music industry. So he goes back to Korea and um, he, he, he tries to continue work, not as a performer, but as a DJ. So I would say like a DJ back then is probably like, I don't, I don't think there's too much information about this, but it's not like a contemporary DJ, right? It's probably like radio DJ or like, you know, putting, putting songs and playlists together and kind of mishmashing it in a yeah. in an older fashion right than we know today um but that was his beginning of kind of make it into the administrative side and it was in 1995 which is in and around the time that the three of us were born if i might say right that he created his own company called sm studio so SM Studio, well, I'm sorry, SM Studio came before and then it got renamed to SM Entertainment in 1995, which, you know, was really the start of Lee Suman's vision for Korean pop and Korean idols. Um, it was supposed to be an all-encompassing entertainment company. I think that's why, that's why I would, I would hypothesize or theorize that he changed the name from SM Studio to SM Entertainment because eventually it became like a full encompassing K-pop production, production right? So you didn't just need to have like recording studios and singers, right? And dancers, you needed to have the background behind everything was going on, like the training infrastructure and the dorms and right, the dorm life and all of that. So... SM Entertainment was really developed as a as a fully encompassing system to support different stages of an artist's career. So this leads to the different visions that he had. So the first vision that he had was SM 1.0, which was in my take. So if I'm looking at the timeline, it was between 1995 and 2010. That's a long time in the K-pop world. Um, so I would break it down into two major mm, two major time periods. One is like the founding of K-pop, and then two is like building the foundation for K-pop, for what we know as K-pop today, uh, within SM1.0. One, um, so the founding of K-pop, right, we think about one of the like some of the earliest sm groups and actually we know a lot of them because a lot of the contemporary artists have covered a lot of the work right so the debut of hot we now know because of the children the children's big remake hit candy which is still charting so i see um came out with candy in you know in 1996 and then Espa did a reboot of SCS's Dreams Come True last year, and SCS debuted in 1997. And both of these groups are considered, like, one of the earliest first groups to debut. So really highly regarded groups, 
kind of laid the foundation of like what is all of this like what does all of this culture mean um so i think sm in in their 1.0 phase of their founding was a lot of kind of laying out um kind of vision of what k-pop would be in that time and then moving forward so moving from that we're still in sm 1.0 but then afterwards like we're thinking about groups like or artists like boa super junior girls generation and even shiny because shiny debuted pre-2010 so they would fall into this category and i would consider this like yeah you're still kind of laying a lot of um vision and a lot of things in k-pop are still being founded but if we're thinking about these groups they're also very foundational groups that would soon and still probably do in my opinion and that i would argue have very substantive impacts on k-pop today so that's why i would consider kind of this second part of sm 1.0 like like k-pop foundations so i think it's categorized by laying expectations of like what is k-pop all about like thinking about how k-pop is not only music but it's also um i always say this right you have to be a comedian and you have to be a good dancer and you have to um uh you know it's about the fashion it's about these different aspects that are coming together the styling the production, the marketing, the stages, right? It's all kind of... Be- personality. Personality, right? It's all coming in together yeah. um, to form what idols' expectations are and also what fans expect of them. So that's what I would say kind of characterizes the second half of SM 1.0. Like, thinking about, like... What what is what are K what is K-pop really what is K-pop and then what do fans come to expect from the K-pop world? So, so Lee Salon really defined that. I mean, he was kind of known as you know one of A the god yeah one of the Godfathers, one of the pioneers of of this entire wow. industry. Because I mean, if he's starting his stuff like in the nineties, right? That's when all the like HOT and SES weren't like the only first groups, but they were. They were the earliest, right? Some of the earliest um, idol groups, you know, of, yeah. this, of this industry. So, yes, very much uh, founding and foundational building, I would say. So that brings us to SM 2.0, which is considered the second wave of, of SM Entertainment, which time-wise is from 2010 to 2020. And at this time, Lee Suman um, is actually actually steps down from being a board of directors in the entertainment company, but he was really still integral in the company's direction because he became an executive producer, like as his primary role. So he was very much even more so invested in visions for the artist, creative direction, um, and thinking about like the innovative concepts that that kind of came out between 2010 and 2020. So he was really still like integral with with the artists and what 
what they were their role was going to be in the k-pop world and also probably in discussion with them as well so yeah so he was more he didn't want to do the business side anymore he just wanted to be like visionary visionary but with with the artist work (laughs) right um and i and i think about as i went as i reflected on the sm family concert back in the summer in a previous episode I talked about how Lee Sun Wan had such, it seemed like he had such good rapport with his artists. And this was probably one of the reasons why is because he kind of moved from a board of directors position to a like more creative side, right? Like a creative vision side. So he was probably really integrated with, he had a lot of FaceTime with the, with the artists, I would suspect because of this. And it seems like that's originally what he wanted, you know, like he was an artist Firstly, and he was an artist. Firstly, yes, and a businessman. <laughs> secondary, yeah. So, so he went back it, to probably what he wanted to do. Maybe he knew that he wasn't going to be the best producer, so he wanted to still work with artists. Essentially, yeah. so during this time, we can think of also found foundational, well-known groups, um, EXO, Red Velvet. And, like, it goes through 2020, right? So we do also have to include NCT and ESPA, all of which are very different from one another. They kind of bring something new to the K-pop world. Like, we think of the two the two um, most recent ones. We think of NCT being, like, a ever-expanding unit, right? That's That was had a dream unit with specific rules and regulations, had um, visions for expansion to different parts of the world, right? Thank God we're not getting NCT Hollywood, in my opinion. But, no! <laughs> and, and, like, and NCT Tokyo is coming out, right, in the next couple of days, in the next couple of months with, well, we can get to that announcement later. But, you know, with ESPA being so integrated in avatars and ai right like thinking about how this all fits into the contemporary world right so um it seemed like lisa mon had a big hand in the creative direction here as well um and you know there's there's so much success i would say going on here so this brings us to i mean like 10 years later i know that like we're just trying to like really trying to pack in everything here but three point the next iteration kind of came up recently um and it's moving from sm 1.0 to 2.0 to 3.0 right so it's kind of like kind of like the iphones or something you know <laughs> like iphone yeah. 1 iphone 2 iphone 15 right so now this brings us to the post 20s in the early 20 in early 2023 um we now see that the uh, different CEOs of the company have laid out, um, you know, I think some might argue that it's a new vision and some might say that it's a vision that moves the company forward, right? And um, the CEO shared that the 3.0 series is supposed to quote, and this is their hope, right? To quote, expand the Korean, Asian, and global fandom and respond to changes in the market. So we can talk more about this, and I think Ashley might uh, touch upon this a little bit, and we're going to touch upon this in a second series. But 
you know, thinking about how, you know, I mean, I would argue that the Holly Holly wave like probably happened within right SM 2.0, but it wasn't part of their vision as strongly to cater to like a larger fandom, right? This ever expanding globalized world fandom, right? So they're explicitly saying, at least for me, that, you know, they're going to cater to some some changes in globalization, right, in the in the decade 2020 and onward. So that's a little bit about, you know, what's what went on in in the previous history of the company, and then that kind of brings us to today really quickly. Obviously, there's lots of if, ands, or buts, but this is just kind of like a high-level overview. And the reason why we're overviewing this is because, well... Ashley, do you want to take us away here? Yeah. So, Gabe, do you have anything to anything to say <laughs> before we move on to my portion? Um, I will say the Hollywood wave thing is very on point because, like, I feel like especially now with Gen Z, K-pop is becoming like a very ubiquitous thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we were their age, like. I don't think it really kind of was at that level of like universality right. and like global like reach. Agreed. Like when we were in like high school, it wasn't at the same kind of level. Right. right. Just really quickly. I think about, I think about like the songs that I heard apart from Gangnam Style, right? I would say apart from Gangnam Style, the huge hits that made it to me as a non-K-pop consumer, right, I would still not hear on the radio. Right, so I think about yeah. um, Taeyong's wedding dress, right? Um, iconic. Classic. Iconic, right? But I would never hear it on the radio. Yeah. So, like, I was standing at a boba shop the other day, and I was like, wait, is that, is that ditto? Wait, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm, like, I still get a shock. There's still a shock factor there. Right. right? But it's also not, not surprising anymore. Kind of given yeah. how easily K-pop can move, right? So, anyways, okay, Ashley. Yeah. So to add on to Nathan's summary of the vision that Lee Suman had, in the background, Lee Suman he started off in 1.0 as like the CEO. He was on the business side, and then 2.0 he becomes sole executive producer meaning that he is like head of all of the music and like output of SM Entertainment. <laughs> all the ideas for groups, everything, all the music, it flows through him. And yeah. I say that because he really profited from these roles as CEO and founder and executive producer when he was when he moved to executive producer and his nephew and other dude i have no idea who this other dude is i just know him as like (laughs) co-ceo when they became um ceos they i don't know if they weren't aware of all of the stuff that w- that Lee Suman was doing in the background in terms of 
how much he was profiting. Like the degree of involvement? Yeah, the degree of money that he was receiving from the company. Because of his heavy involvement. Correct. Okay. And even up until like last year, there are quotes of his his nephew like ride or die. K-pop would be nothing without Lee Soo-man, you know, like, we need him. But now, with the announcement of 3.0 and the sale of shares to Kakao, there's been a lot of um, politics between the executives at SM and there's a lot of uh, like anger that the nephew has towards Lee Soo-man because of all of the money that he made throughout his that those two decades as CEO and executive producer. <coughs> so uh, to go into detail about how much money Lee Soo-man actually made. Um, I'm referencing a dispatch article that was released at the beginning of February. It's very detailed, and it was translated by Koreaboo, which amazingly, like, converted the Korean one numbers to U.S. numbers, so it was, like, very easy to understand. I'll link it in the bio. But anyway, over the course of 23 years, Lee Soo-man made... $577 million off of SM Entertainment. Oh my god. And like I said... Wait, sorry, what? How many years? 23 years. Jesus. I don't know what the breakdown is per year, and obviously it varies based upon, like, popularity and the and the economy, the different stock yeah, prices. Yeah, but on average, but like, we good. He's good. Yeah, he's, he's chillin'. <laughs> well, apparently and, not chillin', because once you get that much i guess you just want more right so maybe in the article that i'm referencing dispatch dispatch uh, described it as like money hungry and greedy mm. and shady uh there was a little bit of like illegal action on the way that he made this money and like i said I don't know if the nephew and other CEO knew about much of this stuff up until recently when they announced, or maybe they did know about it, which is why they announced 3.0 to move to a multi-producer system. So <clears throat> the way that Lee Simon made this money was through different mergers of companies that he founded um and then through licensing fees and managing fees of sm artists so through the mergers i'll first start off with like the thing that gave him the most amount of money which is getting sm listed on the korean stock exchange the co the cosac um there's like a minimum amount you need to have in capital in order to be listed on the stock exchange. And 
SM's capital was nowhere near that, like 5% of the minimum requirement. So what they did is they they released new, new shares so that investors can come in with money and buy these shares, mm. uh, which ultimately increases the value of your company. What Lee Suman did that was illegal was he withdrew money from SM Entertainment to buy those shares that were issued. So basically, it's not like new money that was entering the company. It was the company's money that was re-entering the company. But it made it look as though like they had all this new income, and then they were able to meet the requirement to get listed on the stock exchange. So ultimately, this is like embezzlement fraud. <clears throat> and back in, what is it, 20 or 2000, I think, um, he got put it, he got put on like Interpol, which is like this international policing governing body. He got put on like a most wanted list because of this embezzlement. And he served, he got sentenced like, what is it? two years of probate, three years of probation. Like, he didn't do any jail time. He somehow got out of it because he has really good attorneys. But he he had, like, he did some, he got punishment, basically. And through this... Is it too this, early uh, to retract the Lord and Savior comments? Yeah, no. Okay. 100% we're okay. retracting that. Because I don't know if this is common knowledge. Like, it's, all of this... I would not suspect that this is common knowledge. Right. I mean, he did go to jail. And that was probably a big, like... Okay, so basically, as you thing. were mentioning in our chat, all CEOs have issues. Yeah. Like, he, he really wanted to quickly raise money for this company. And... He did that through embezzlement and through that whole deal getting SM listed on the stock exchange, he ended up with like almost 70% shares in the company. I don't know how this is possible. And honestly, I've, I've like a lot of this, this like merger, uh, like financial stuff is a little bit different, like Korean Mm-hmm. investment is different than American investment. That There's different rules. Right. And so, like, my husband is in is in investments, and he, even he was like, this doesn't make any sense. And I was, we were like, oh, yeah, because it's in Korea. They probably, different rules we don't know Korean yeah. investment. <laughs> we're no experts here. Anyway, so he ended up, after that whole thing, he ended up with, like, 70% shares in the company. Then he went through this deal, this, like, process of, selling those shares and through that he made like what 20 million dollars here like another five million dollars like another year he also somehow got shares for his mom and dad and they they were able to pocket like five million 12 million each you know (laughs) so everyone's making money from this from this deal then he he founds these two companies um, SM Enterprise and CT Planning. 
these two companies merge with, well, actually, these two, yeah, these two companies are like contracted through SM, meaning that, so SM Inter Enterprise is a, actually, hold on, now I'm getting my stuff confused. SM Enterprise is a company that manages artists. And so from, they're considered just like a line item in the production costs, like of the money, like 20% of all, I think it's profits, goes to SM Enterprise. Maybe not profits, maybe revenue. And then um, Life Planning is a music consultation and license, licensing charge, licensing fee, um, where 15% of album sales go to this company as a commission. So Lee Suman is like the founder of these two companies. So he's working at SM Entertainment. He's the founder of these two other companies. So he's getting paid for three companies. He's getting 20% of, of like uh, rev revenue from, I mean, not him, the company, but he's on the payroll at that. Mm -hmm. that like, he's on the payroll managing. three times. He's on the payroll three times. So he's getting paid three times. And then through, like, those other companies, like the managing company and the licensing company, like, he's just raking it in. Raking it in. And eventually, SM Enterprise merges with SM Entertainment, so he loses that, that like, um... Second that, like, payroll. Second income, I guess, and he just has the two But he incomes. has a bigger payroll on the first one. Right. And then he also, so he has like planning, which is the, the licensing fee, licensing company, production company, music consultation company. He also creates CT Planning Limited, which is established in Hong Kong and gets 6% of sales for all overseas, um, overseas, like, output. So he's getting money from Korea, he's getting money from what, Japan, China, United States, all these different things. And he was, he was starting to get like very, very greedy. And towards the end of maybe sometime in 2021, when the talks with Kakao first started happening, I think that's when like the CEO's anger started to boil because they were just realizing how much money Lee Suman was making and out like in the time that he was making all this money these are like contractual agreements that the company needs to pay to him you know like they need to pay him six percent of of album sales because he's the executive producer and mm -hmm. that's a licensing fee you know even when SM went to the United States and did a deal with Capitol Records. Part of that contract was six percent of album sales goes to Lee Suman direct for direct for licensing fees. So this was like boiling the CEO's blood, which made them want to establish 3.0, establishing a multi-producer 
system essentially like trying to push Lee Suwon out. Or maybe not out, just spread the... Spread the... Maybe decrease the, the amount of money that he was receiving. And, and essentially responsibility, right? As an externality. Right. Yeah. Right. And maybe he was... I think they saw the money that he was making as, like, exorbitant. So if they could decrease the amount of money that they pay him and pay other pe- other per- producers, then the production costs won't be so high mm. overall. You know, It's what kind I mean? of like having that senior colleague in your department or in whatever work area you are that has just accrued so much that they're doing that maybe they're doing the same amount of work, but you need to pay them more because they've been there for like decades. That's yeah. how I kind of see it. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of like that, but it just sucks for the company like SM entertainment, because there were times like, especially in 2008 where the stock price tanked and it was going for, for like less than a dollar a share. So there wasn't, they were like, they were in the red. The company was in the red. And the dispatch article says like, had they not had to pay Lee Suman his contracted 6%, 20%, 15%, whatever, whatever it amount it was at the time, like the the revenue margin would have been greater. Mm. So it they it like those those hard times wouldn't have hurt so badly. And they they this article described it as like just like CEO greed. It's like money hungry type of thing. <sighs> yes. Well, it's good. So when I'm hearing all of this, it sounds like if the company had ever gone under, like it would have been attributed to a large part of it would have been attributed Lack to of performance. Lee Suman's way of handling it, oh. right? Yeah. So in a way, he got really lucky that like it all worked out in the end. Yeah. The article says describes his his like management style as actually mismanagement. Mm. Yeah. And I I want to share a a portion of this article that maybe will resonate with us on how like money hungry he was so for example um Espa was supposed to release an album last year and um let me just find my note on this just so I can quote it directly from the article Espa uh, Espa did release an album last year. So what? What? Sorry, what is this? I think I think they were like another supposed one? to release another one or like something like that. Anyway, so Espa was supposed to release something, and in that release, uh, Lee Simon was like really pushing for his vision of sustainability. 
Like environmental and sustainability. In, yeah, environmental <laughs> sustainability. So he really wanted to add lyrics in their song about, like, greenism. Interesting. Uh, okay. Planting trees. Like, he wanted those words in the song. Planting trees! Which... Maybe could go well with the concept of Espa, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Anyways. I don't know. And so it caused a lot of like internal strife between production because he was really trying to push this like um, An agenda. agenda. And it ultimately, that's why the release of Espa got delayed because of all this like back mm, and forth. I see. Yeah. So, yeah. Lee Suman, I don't know if he would be characterized as Lord and Savior anymore. I mean, I also don't know if this Dispatch article is biased. I mean, the title of the article is like 118 Facts. So maybe, but I mean, the way that they they are writing and that's gonna be hard to i mean so we're just trying to we are trying to do our best to give a non-biased opinion of it right but we also don't have the connotation behind don't have the full context and connotation behind korean written articles so disclaimer yeah yeah so all this to say this is what led up to um the announcement of the cacao partnership where they acquired i think it was nine percent shares and then the announcement of 3.0 where they're sm 3.0 to, sm 3.0 where they're trying to establish like a multi-production system okay so we'll leave this at that for today giving the listeners come some background and then we'll be back in the second part of our series to discuss more about the aftermath of the cacao talk shares just shares and then also detail more and have a conversation about sm 3.0 in the in the next series installment of this probably ever developing hot take hot talk yeah so um with that we thank you for tuning into this first part um don't forget to follow us on instagram at idle talk pod and rate review and subscribe to us on all of our major podcast directories and streaming platforms if you have any feedback or content requests please email us at idletalkpod at gmail.com and lastly we have our content directory idletalkpod.uwu.ai where you'll see previous episodes categorized including song uh song playlist recommendations concert and k-drama reviews as well as information about us and it could be found in the description of our episodes here well until next time we know that more will be breaking as we as we finish off today um but we'll talk to you all next time goodbye bye bye i'm vivian yoon listen to k-pop dreaming from elias studios I grew up in Koreatown in the 90s, and my friends and I could not get enough of K-pop. Do you remember SES? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So how did the music that only Korean and Korean Americans listened to become a global cultural force? And what role did LA and Koreatown play in K-pop's rise? K-pop Dreaming. Listen wherever you get your podcast.